0: Good afternoon. It's uh, Wednesday, the 30th of June 2021, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News. Your host today, Mike Robinson. Myself, Brian Gerrish. We're delighted to be joined by David Scott, bringing us Northern Exposure from north of the border, and also Alex Thompson with Eastern Approaches from the Depths of the Netherlands. Well,
1: we're we're gonna kick off with one image from the uh, demonstration at the weekend. Uh, And here it is, uh, somebody holding up a sign saying, what's next, a daffodil variant, alien invasion. Well, it could be both of those um, because if anybody's been paying attention to the mainstream press over the last few weeks, we've seen a major uh, ramp up in the number of alien invasion type stories uh, in the press. So it could be very much that. Daffodil variants, well, we're gonna come on to the various variants. Uh, in one second. But uh, uh, on uh, Monday afternoon, then, um, Sajid Javid, the new health secretary, um, was giving a briefing to Parliament um, about the status of vaccines and the uh, potential for um, removing ourselves from lockdown uh, on time on the 19th of July. Um, So let's just have a brief listen to what he had to
2: say. Mr. Deputy Speaker. Our aim is that around two-thirds of all adults in this country will have had both doses by 19th July. We're bringing forward second doses and bringing forward our target for first doses too so we can meet that 19th July goal. Vaccine uptake remains sky-high. We've seen that age is no barrier for enthusiasm for getting the jab. As of this weekend... More than half of adults under 30 have taken up the chance to be vaccinated, including in the last couple of weeks, all three of my own adult children. Yeah. And our vaccines are working, including against the Delta variant. The latest modelling from Public Health England shows that they have saved over 27,000 lives and have prevented over 7 million people from getting COVID 19.
1: So that was his claim, uh, based on the latest modeling from Public Health England, modeling, and of course the modeling has been highly successful from the beginning, 27,000 lives saved. And the question is, is that true? Well, the Daily Mail wrote to the rescue uh, with this headline uh, a day or two ago, um, only 3% of under 50s hospitalized with Indian COVID have been fully vaccinated and none have died. PHE bosses hail hugely encouraging data amid 46% cases spike as map shows areas where mutant virus is most rife. And now they've found another variant. So this is what they said. The subheadline says, no one double jabbed and under the age of 50 in England has died from the Indian COVID variant, PHE says. So this is all fantastic news, but Kovi is confused. Corona is confused, I should say. Uh, Very confused, doesn't understand what's going on because this is not Coroni's experience. And we're going to explain why. Now, this uh, Mail article was talking about this particular report uh, from Public Health England. SARS-CoV-2 variants of concern and variants under investigation in England, technical briefing 17. Now, I think the last time, the last technical briefing that we had on this program was uh, 15 uh, a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago. But uh, this is the latest one, technical briefing 17. And let's just have a look at at a little bit of what this says. So it says the briefing provides an update on previous briefings up to the 18th of June, 2021. So let's have a look at uh, the the list of variants, first of all. So this is variants under surveillance. Uh, Table one shows the current variants of concern and variants under investigation and more. But you can see we've got alpha, beta, gamma, delta. Delta, of course, is the biggie at the moment. We've got zeta on its way. Uh, We've got uh, theta, kappa, lambda, epsilon. IOTA. I suspect they've got no IOTA about what they're doing, but anyway, it goes on. But the IOTA is only under monitoring at the moment. Uh, and uh, then we've got uh, more IOTA going on there. But uh, this was the key table here, this one. Uh, table four, attendance to emergency care and deaths by vaccination status amongst Delta confirmed cases, brackets, sequencing and Genotype Typing), including all confirmed Delta cases in England, 1st of February, 2021, to the 21st of June, 2021, uh, and you can see there that there are a total of 92,029 uh, cases. Uh, that's quite an interesting number there, if anybody's paying attention, uh, of the Delta variant. Uh, and we've got those broken down into people that are vaccinated, uh, and we've got the uh, people that are unvaccinated at the end there. And you can see that there are in total roughly uh, what is that, uh, 27 or 28,000 uh, vaccinated people. With delta, that they ended up getting uh, the covid 19 of the delta variant um, and fifty three thousand eight hundred and twenty two unvaccinated people so that's roughly double the number of unvaccinated people um, but what one of the first thing that grabbed my attention here was if we look here fifty three thousand eight hundred and twenty two people unvaccinated people have come down with uh, the delta variant uh, since the beginning um but 52,846 of those are under 50, and only 976 of those are over 50. And this is very, very interesting because one of the comments which is doing the rounds at the moment is that when we looked at, at look at the public health England influenza and COVID-19 surveillance report, the vast majority of people that are uh, becoming COVID cases at the moment are under 50. And the argument then is, therefore, that because the, the Uh, much more people over 50 have been vaccinated, the vaccines are therefore working. Is that true though? Because this suggests that that's not true. It seems that this is just a condition or a characteristic of this particular variant, that younger people are more susceptible to it. Um, This is perhaps demonstrated that if we look uh, at the people that have received one dose of the vaccine, but are less than 21 days, post that dose. In other words, the vaccine hasn't had an opportunity to do what it's supposed to do at this stage. We see a similar statistic. We see 6,154 people under 50 that ended up getting the Delta variant and only 88 people over 50. So this seems to represent the same characteristic. But then as we move on and people, the vaccine starts to do what it's supposed to do, then we find that uh, people that are over 50 start getting many, many more cases of COVID-19. Okay, so let's then add the death statistics onto this. And what do we see? Uh, We see that uh, in amongst the unvaccinated people, there were 44 deaths in total. That's out of 53,822 cases. But out of the vaccinated people, what is it that? uh, 70 cases. but that's half the number, 70 deaths, sorry, and half the number of cases. So I thought the best way to sort of illustrate this was to uh, normalize this to the number of deaths per 100,000 cases. And what we find then is that amongst the vaccinated, that equates to 250 deaths among 100, per 100,000 cases of Delta variant. And among the unvaccinated, it's 71 deaths per 100,000 cases. Um, so I'm going to go back to this uh, mail article here, and I'm absolutely going to put the fake news stamp on it. because uh, And maybe I could say, welcome to the program, David. I'm interested in your thoughts on this. Uh, that seems to me like uh, the mail has very carefully constructed their narrative to choose one particular element out of that uh, report from Public Health England. But the Public Health England report seems to show very clearly that uh, should you fall ill from COVID-19 as a vaccinated person, you're much more likely to die as a result.
3: Yes, good afternoon, Mike. This this has been a consistent tendency all the way through this, this crisis, that the, the use of statistics, when they're not um, invented via modelling processes, when they're actually measured... Uh, has been exceptionally deceptive, we've seen it over and over again, even uh, down to the definition of excess death, um, which is which is concocted in a way that maximizes um, the headlines available to, for the head, headline writers now, and gives an entirely misleading view of how the current deaths statistics and death rates compare with the previous 20 years and the answer to that is of course they're very unremarkable compared to the last 20 years. Um, And we're seeing the manipulation of statistics, we're seeing very careful um, um, framing of definitions in order to generate headlines which give a particular narrative and they they are very, very deceptive.
0: Yeah, I just wanted to add a simple thing, which is when you look at that public health document, it's talking about variants of concern. So this is an emotive term in its in its uh, on its own. We've got variants under investigation. This sounds as though they're actually doing something. We're looking into these, and then we've got monitoring. But the definitions don't really give you anything. They don't tell you what is actually happening. What is the MHRA doing to investigate? We simply don't know
1: uh, well that's true but of course you got to remember that variants under concern and variants under investigation these are uh, global trademarks um, so this is something that's not just being used by the UK it's being used by others as well um, but uh, you'll notice I think you noticed there Brian that uh, in that report they're talking about uh, uh, the identification or the confirmation that these were delta variant cases uh, through genomic sequencing?
0: Yes. So we bring in the headline here because government.uk uh, very, very excited that uh, uh, it's passed the 500,000th case of uh, COVID-19 genomically uh, sequenced. Uh, so here's the uh, detail, well from, from the opening uh, slide anyway, more than half a million positive COVID-19 samples have been genomically sequenced, cementing the UK status as a world leader in genomics. And notice what they're saying there. They're not saying um, this is fantastic because we are saving people's lives. We're protecting people. No, this is about taking us into being a world leader. And why are they so fascinated with this? Well, of course, as we've started a report now, um, COVID-19 and the vaccination program around it is the driver for the multi-trillion pound genome sequencing industry, which has been built within UK, largely hidden in plain sight from the public. Um, but what is the driver? It isn't people's health and well-being and uh, medical improvement. This is about vast profits from a trillion dollar industry. And uh, we can see that Public Health England and of course, the MHRA are drawn into this. Uh, this is another headline here. And of course, um, the opening uh, bit that you had there from Javid White. COVID-19 vaccines have prevented 7.2 million infections and 27,000 deaths. Uh, new analysis suggests. So here's the spin coming in. They haven't actually got any facts. They can only suggest that these very emotive and very large statistics are true. So new analysis suggests that the vaccine program has prevented between, now look at the bracket, between 6.4 and 7.9 million infections. David, uh, before I finish the other one there, um, that's a pretty big bracket. If you're saying that you've only got a suggestion that what you're doing is working, you then add a bracket four miles wide, and then confidently say that your model is is giving a coherent response?
3: Yeah, what are we modeling? I mean, the modeling has failed from from the outset. Um, So why should we trust it now? We're seeing, um, obviously, we know that the the, the vaccine still in stage three trials, we're seeing comments from the government in very many areas to say, well, when we get this data, we'll find out how effective the vaccine is. When we, when, when we, when we get this bit of data, that'll, that'll give an indication. There are huge unknowns at the very best here, um, and that's not been reflected in the model. That sort of range that you're talking about there does not reflect a genuine range of uncertainty. Far from it, the uncertainty is far greater. This yeah. is, is modelling in service of a state narrative. This is not science. Not
0: science, thank you for that. Well, just the other little part of that was it said and between 26,000 and 28,000 deaths. So we're going to label this as absolutely fake news because it's Public Health England with another unsubstantiated claim. Do go and read the detail, not that there is a lot of detail in the article. Um, what is missing, of course, is the real evidence to substantiate what they're talking about. Now, we we are warning and warning that if you think that, uh, sorry, if you think that Public Health England is there to protect our safety, and that's primarily what it does, this is completely untrue. And over the last few days, we've had another lot of research kindly come in from one of our viewers pointing out the relationship between the MHRA and an organization called Web Radar. Um, So we're just going to label all these happy faces. These people are not meeting to protect the public. This is part of a huge network of uh, companies and organizations which are essentially partnering to make a profit. There's no doubt about what they're doing there. So here's Web Radar. Most of the people in the UK have not heard about this. Let's see what it says. So it says it's all about recognizing adverse drug reactions, working to improve pharmacopathy, pharmacovigilance through new technology. And it's going back to 2014, Mike, which is pretty interesting. So um, they were working to utilize the powers of social media and new technologies for pharmacovigilant purposes. But we know that we're now into 2021 and the MHRA is collecting yellow card data, but it's simply not doing anything with the data showing the adverse vaccine effects.
1: But they can't be using social media to to troll for this data either because of course as soon as anything goes up on social media with the respect to comes back down again. Maybe maybe they're getting reports from Facebook and Twitter about how many uh, posts are removed. Maybe that's helping inform their
0: Well this this is where we have just got to encourage people Mike to get in and read this material themselves. It says the project developed mobile applications enabling patients, caregivers, and healthcare professionals to report adverse drug reactions and receive up-to-date information and news alert. It doesn't say anything about acting on the adverse Mm -hmm. reactions, and of course, they're not doing it. And if you go on into the website, obviously, there's more detail here, but our old friend, the World Health Organization, comes up, and we've got the international, uh, sorry, we've got the Collaborating Center for International Drug Monitoring, and you'll see that they're driving into... Uh, a number of, uh, we'll call third world countries, Burkina, Faso, Zambia, Almedia, Ghana, Ethiopia, Botswana, Ivory Coast, Uganda. Uh, so they've, they're in there with a vengeance. And then if we come down to the second part here, which just we're just going to highlight, uh, down at the bottom, it says this work has been led by SNOMED International and Medra MSSO, Connectivity protocols with electronic healthcare record databases have also been explored within the United Kingdom and Danish settings, such as the uh, adverse reactions, regulatory information, which can be made available in the care record. So this is providing something of a trail footprint for the amount of research that's gone on to use our medical data as part of this massive trillion dollar genome sequencing organization. We'll be doing more on this in the coming weeks.
1: Uh, Now, David, on the subject of uh, adverse reactions, uh, The Times has an article here, 4,000 women report period problems after COVID jab.
3: Yes, um, so the the vaccine watchdog is closely monitoring this at Times reports. Uh, They rather take credit for having discovered this data as well, which doesn't seem quite right. Um, But they're talking about uh, 2,734 reports of period problems linked to AstraZeneca, 1,158 reports um, related to Pfizer and 66 related to the uh, Moderna vaccine. And that's uh, up, up to 17th of May. So those figures now. Uh, somewhat out of date. Uh, The Mail also um, reported on this and uh, they interestingly quoted the uh, head of the uh, MHRA, Dr. June Rain, uh, who said, uh, alongside the independent reports, um, uh, of the Commission on Human Medicines, uh, the members of Medicines for Women's Health Expert Advisory Group, we have uh, reviewed reports of menstrual disorders and unexpected vaginal bleeding uh, suspected as adverse, as adverse reactions to vaccination. The current evidence does not suggest an increase, an increased risk following vaccination uh, with the three UK COVID vaccines. The number of reports is low in relation to the number of women who have had the vaccine to date, and the background rate of menstrual disorders generally. We continue to closely monitor these reports for potential signals. So this isn't a signal. 4,000 women reporting a problem immediately after the vaccination isn't a signal. 4,000 people, 4,000 women reporting that problem um, through a passive um, recording system like the yellow card system, which... In serious cases, might get 10% of, 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 the, of the reports. Uh, in more, more minor cases, it might be 1% or 2% of the actual number of cases and adverse reactions actually turn up on that database. This is very strange. How can, they, how can uh, uh, Dr. June Rain say this is not a problem and it's just a, back, a background rate? She doesn't have any firm ideas to just how many women are affected. She cannot have. And she hasn't stated how many women have to report a problem until it's, it's viewed as significant. It's all just being put down as, well, it's, it's just background. All of these things, including the deaths, are always put down by the MHRA as simply background effects, and there's nothing to see here. And the, the evidence mounts and mounts that this is not true, and more and more people suffer and uh, Dr Rain um, continues to go through the, the same, the same um, line that there's nothing to see here move along. And we're still waiting on anything substantial by way of analysis, of statistical analysis, of scientific analysis to back up this viewpoint. And we have to remember that the number of adverse reports, the number of adverse reactions being reported are an order of magnitude or more greater than we've ever seen before. It's far greater than the number of reports that have had vaccines cancelled and withdrawn and whole programmes put on hold in the past. But this time, everything's fine, according to the MHRA. Uh,
1: Well, this time, many, many things have changed, but we should uh, not remember, or should not forget, sorry, that uh, the MHRA spent a million and a half pounds at the end of last year, breaking all the procurement rules in the process uh, to obtain an, uh, an AI-based uh, tracking system, which was supposed to be all singing and all dancing because their legacy systems uh, uh, weren't going to be up to the job. We have to remind everybody that if you look at the at yellowcard.ukcolumn.org and you look at the statistics, some of you have been writing in and saying these numbers don't add up. Uh, because if you look at the totals on the MHRA spreadsheets, they're not the same as the totals on your website. The point is that we have generated our to- uh, totals based on the numbers in the actual spreadsheet uh, line items, uh, and the MHRA have actually got their calculations wrong. So when you see a difference between the totals on the MHRA spreadsheet and the totals on the yellowcard.uk column.org website, it's because the MHRA are continuing to have errors in their spreadsheets. This is not the result of a £1.5 million uh, broken procurement rules procured uh, system. This is the result of somebody manually uh, trying to work a spreadsheet and they can't work it properly. So uh, the MHRA has a lot of questions to answer.
0: Uh, We've we've got a very interesting uh, response from the MHRA to one of our viewers in which they admit that that there's errors in the data Um, But within about a paragraph or two paragraphs, they're saying, well, of course, the other thing is that because we're constantly reviewing the data, you can only accept the latest data and uh, that's the only data that you should trust. So they admit there's mistakes, but then say, don't worry, we've aggregated all this data and you can now trust the latest. Don't look at the history, look at the latest. Yeah. This is fabrication. Well, and,
1: and it's also untrue because the yeah. latest also has errors, but the question is are they then compounding the errors. Right. But, but anyway, uh, let's welcome Alex Thompson to the program. Uh, welcome to the pro- program, Alex. What's going on in, uh, in Europe then?
4: Well, what isn't going on in Europe, Mike? Well, at the moment, it seems that there is uh, quite a lot of uh, indications coming in that there are large cultural factors between European countries which are skewing the rate of reporting of adverse vaccine reactions. Uh, I'm getting quite a lot of information from members of the excellent group Doctors for COVID Ethics, much of which is raw stats crunching. So people should, if they have the, the, the ability and inclination check this out for themselves. There is such a thing on the uh, website of uh, UDRA Vigilance, which I think people are becoming aware of now. It's the uh, it's the adverse vaccine, vaccine reaction tracking for the whole of wider Europe, not just in fact the European economic area, but about a third of their data comes in from wider Europe, non-EEA countries, such as Balkan countries that are not a member of the EEA. So it is a very wide reflection of what's going on. And there is such a thing as a COVID-19 vaccine tracker uh, on the ECDC website. It's very hard to find that URL, but if you get through to it, you'll know you're on the right side if the URL starts with qap.ecdc. But anyway, here is some of the number crunching which has come in. Um, This particular one here uh, is particularly interesting. Neither of the left-hand columns here uh, equates to individual people or patients, right? That's important to bear in mind we have broken down in the uh, in the fat line sections countries major European countries and the individual thin line cells within those countries are the individual manufacturers of the shots Uh, the first percentage here entitled uh, as a column heading uh, percentage of jabs shows the total number of jabs uh, in the country in question, which were accounted for by the manufacturer in question. The middle column is the percentage uh, labeled cases uh, where there were adverse reactions. So obviously uh, people mix and match, and they typically have two jabs if they follow through with the program. Uh, But what's important here is the yellow and gray on the right-hand side, where there is a differential of more than three uh, percent. In other words, statistically significant. Oh, what's going on here? Why are there so many more uh, proportionally more adverse reactions for this manufacturer in this particular European countries data? We see that the Netherlands is Far and away, head and shoulders, reporting a lot more adverse vaccine reactions, even than ostensibly culturally similar neighboring countries like Germany. One of the reasons for this is that Germany and the Netherlands are at opposite extremes of the obey my doctor spectrum. The Dutch basically never believe their doctor on average, and the Germans always do as they're told. So look at the the potentials here, particularly the Janssen and Janssen or sorry, Janssen or Johnson and Johnson shot. 62% 62% statistically more than expected adverse reactions for that particular slot for, for that particular shot in that country's data. And if you look at the Janssen uh, or Johnson and Johnson, same thing for the other countries, there are actually grey negative figures. In other words, fewer than expected. This seems to be prima facie reticence by medics and/or individual people. Uh, receiving shots in these countries which the Dutch are uh, both of you know because you've spent time in the Netherlands then the Dutch are not known for being shy about reporting and complaining so this is uh, suggesting to me that there's rather a lot more going on than meets the eye Uh, let's go forward I'm having to flick through a lot of uh, secondary information here to see my notes but the next slide here uh, in yellow here uh, the yellow cells indicate where the classification of serious reaction is in excess of half of the total of the category in total. For example, immune uh, adverse reactions or cardiac adverse reactions. This is all by manufacturer in, it says EU data, but it's actually wider Europe. It's even wider than the European economic area, right? So yellow and red indicate where the category of serious is. Sorry, that's red text in yellow, more than 70% of the uh, adverse reactions in that particular health category for that manufacturer are serious. So the vast majority in these in these red and yellow cells of adverse reactions are particularly serious ones. There doesn't seem to be, according to the person who's researched this, any uh, particular gender split of, uh, of seriousness here, which is something that the press has dwelt on. But there does seem to be rather a lot more per manufacturer and per c- country and national inclination to report. I don't know how many more of these slides you've got because I know we're pressed for time, but look at this zoom in here. Well, this is a zoom in uh, in the top hand corner of another of the breakdowns which I was sent. Right? Uh, the big headline figure here, which is why we zoomed in on this bit, is that this is the most extreme case. The, the relatively minor for European, uh, in European terms, the minor jab manufacturer Moderna, uh, which I think stands for modern RNA, but it's the first time that manufacturer has come into the market. Uh, as i think people know for jabs um moderna uh here has got 90 well i'll put it the other way around to make it more, to make it simpler every 94 times that a, a dutch person is injected with a moderna COVID jab uh it's not just that there's an adverse reaction but that an adverse reaction is reported more than one in a hundred times a moderna jab has been administered to a dutchman or a dutchwoman And uh, the adverse reaction has actually been not experienced, but experienced and reported. This is quite a shocker, actually. And the next slide shows the whole of that table. And people can freeze that frame and statistically minded again can look into it. But look at the great differences again between the Netherlands and Germany. Uh, For example, take the same manufacturer, Moderna in Germany, it takes 4,350 administrations of a single Moderna jab. So that's not obviously individual patients, but uh, because some people get repeats, most people. For every 4,350 times a German is injected with a Moderna jab, uh, an adverse reaction is reported. Well, there's a couple more of these slides, but your, your initial reaction welcome as to what could explain this.
0: Well, of course, you're throwing that question at us, Um, Alex, and that is the very question that should be answered by the MHRA. The MHRA is the official government body for monitoring the safety of vaccines, and it has produced no comprehensive reports explaining this type of, uh, of data. And of course, this is how the, the, the general public are being lied to and conned because they, the statistics are just put out, but there's never any in-depth evaluation as to what's happening. But we can say that enough people are reporting unofficially qualified people, even at PhD level, who are saying their analysis of the stati- statistics being made available shows that we should be deeply concerned about the rate of adverse reactions in all the vaccines.
1: Um, Look, Alex, we're just going to jump forward a couple uh, to this one because I think this is really interesting. So this is a drug adverse event comparison between uh, the vaccines and other prophylactics.
4: I don't have much more detail on that than than what was sent to me. And obviously it's somebody who has snapped while walking past a large monitor by the look of it. Uh, but if this data is to be accepted at face value, and this is of course, uh, as you can see in small type here, FDA and CDC data. So this is United States data. Uh, But again, roughly the same population size as the EU or Europe generally and somewhat comparable to the Western world as a whole. What we see here is that the deaths per year, if we just focus on the right hand column there, per administration of these are are all treatments, prophylactics, uh, oral therapy, jabs, anything which is thrown at respiratory viruses, uh, right? Uh, Two deaths per year for the administration of the extremely controversial now ivermectin. Uh, 23 deaths per year for hydroxychloroquine administration, 38 deaths per year for flu vaccines, 150 deaths per year in the United States for dexamethasone being administered for respiratory viruses, Tylenol is the US brand name for what we call paracetamol in Europe, 730 deaths, of course it's much much more widely used and as everyone knows a particularly safe medicine usually with the usual caveats, remdesivir, 938 deaths, COVID vaccines, 4,812 deaths. And people can look at more of those columns uh, if they wish. Uh, But the person who sent me through the Dutch data and the German data uh, had as a codicil to that um, something about the the rate at which uh, the Germans and the Dutch um, uh, report these uh, issues, which I'll very quickly uh, flick through to, here we are. If the Netherlands was reporting all adverse drug reactions, and take it from me, and the two of you will, I'm sure, back me up, having lived in the Netherlands, the Dutch do complain a lot, right? If the Netherlands is indeed reporting all adverse drug reactions, which is pretty much rule of thumb what they're doing, and if it was a model which should be done, which I think it is because we have a decentralized and non-tyrannical health service in the Netherlands, comparatively speaking, then, says the statistical person, Germany, in comparison, is only recording less than 7% of its adverse drug reactions, which is pretty much in line with what you, of course, Mike and Brian and others have been finding from other sources. And indeed, it's controversial now, but the uh, MHRA just taking Britain's regulator has said as much, although has suddenly started putting riders on that now that we have uh, drawn attention to the implication that there's 10 times as many serious uh, reactions, uh, or if not uh, up to 100 for minor ones, uh, as are actually being reported.
0: And Alex, I'll just add to that in conversation with a uh, biochemist PhD level last night, it was pointed out that the French system uh, for reporting the adverse effects has also said that it believes that roughly less than 10% of serious adverse reactions go into that French system. I don't know what it is for more minor ones. So we seem to have a pattern here throughout the so-called governmental safety organisations. But as we dig into the network, we see that UK's MHRA seems to be the head teacher of all these other organisations in other countries. It's almost as if the MHRA is contaminating these other organisations with its particular policies and uh, procedures for for supposedly monitoring vaccine safety. Uh, Well, you've mentioned death and uh, I picked this one up from the Daily Mail. I just found it sort of an amazing, it was a sort of mixture, a montage of various things with this big headline, time to live with COVID. Uh, Downing Street warns UK will have to accept flu-like death figures of up to 20,000 a year in a marked shift on messaging as country approaches July the 19th. Now, this to me seemed to be doing two things. One is the big headline was that it was time to live with death. That's what it's talking about. But then it's saying, and you're going to get this because you forced us into releasing lockdown on July the 19th. Do I believe lockdown is going to be lifted on July the 19th? I don't. But this, I thought, was a particularly vicious collection of images and statements by the Daily Mail clearly designed to frighten people. Okay. I'll leave our viewers to think about that. Well, let's move on to nicer things. And that has got to be our experience in London over the weekend. Um, Truly amazing uh, couple of days. And uh, we'll take you through a little bit of it now. But I'd just like to remind our viewers that on the 21st, um, UK Column News was looking at uh, really COVID-19 pandemic scam cards on the table. And we quickly labeled a few people on particular cards. So, of course, Boris got the joker and uh, we pointed out, as far as we were concerned, he was more of a joker because he's absolutely in bed with the political industrial pharmaceutical lobby uh, pushing the vaccines. Uh, We brought in June Rain as the Queen of Diamonds and we had a bit of comment. Well, when we got to London, I was astonished to see that our prediction was correct because immediately outside of our hotel uh, room were the very cards strung across the street. And if you can't see them in enough detail, I'll let you see what we saw. And there was all the faces stretched out across the strand. So somebody clearly looking after the UK column uh, as we arrived in London, and there was the signal that the London authorities have been watching. That could be the only answer, Mike. Very good. And uh, I'll also bring in this one here, which is what is the state of London? Now, This is actually from uh, Sunday morning, Um, but uh, we took a visit uh, outside of Parliament and were struck by the look of the safety uh, barriers, which uh, together with the scaffolding, which is over the whole building, just give an incredibly... Um, Alex, you know what I'm talking about here. This this is this is the Soviet I'm looking at here. This is the old uh, Czechoslovakia or East Germany. This very heavy, draconian, sinister, um, massive statement by the state that you are nothing and we are here in our great fortress. Uh, I couldn't see any side to democracy there at all in this image.
4: Well, there's a number of continental European capitals that have followed Britain into this uh, trend of putting barriers around politically significant buildings. And the United States recently, with the latest handover of office, uh, is doing the same around the capital now, of course. Uh, But in the continental European countries, they are very very careful to use only uh, traditional friendly looking square uh, cement, light colored uh, flower tubs, basically, and to plant them up as well. So everyone knows they're there against cars, uh, cars ramming into buildings, but they are of a lighter colour. Yes, the dark and imposing shades, and you and I have been in Westminster, around Westminster long enough to see that the, the colours have got darker and darker. That is specifically British, I think, uh, and it, perhaps the Americans are going that way as well. There is a lot more of this uh, imposing use of colour and uh, the appearance of massiveness. Uh, in the street furniture, for sure. And it was very much uh, a a habit or or a, a, a street furniture technique used by the communist regimes, yes. Someone was asking in the chat box just now, what was the point Alex was making in the last segment? It's very simple. It's that if the Dutch are reporting all the adverse reactions, which it seems they are, um, then the Germans are underreporting by, by fewer than ten percent of the adverse reactions the Germans are experiencing. By comparison with the Dutch, not with real life, but with the Dutch reporting rate, fewer than ten percent are getting through. Apparently, because between patient and doctor, they decide nine-nine, you cannot do that.
1: Yeah. Yes, I think that's probably what's going on here as well. So, anyway, getting back to uh, to London, uh, we've got some uh, video now of of we're just going to talk uh, as this is playing. Uh, of what happened uh, on Saturday. Um, this is from two main sources, uh, our usual man on the ground, but also uh, Drew from uh, uh, Let Me Look TV. Uh, so thank you very much to both uh, for this content. So let's have a look here and see what we've got. Um, this beginning in Hyde Park here. Um, of course, it's only a few thousand, Brian. Well, as you... so
0: we're gonna see in a minute, utter lies from the main, uh, the main press, the BBC in particular, because uh, this demonstration was vast. Many of the people that were there had been to the previous one. They said it was equally as as big. But by by later in the day, when obviously more people had assembled, many people were saying to me they thought it was bigger. Uh, what is our guess? Half, at least half a million people there. It's got to be.
1: It's it's impossible to know exactly how many. The thing that struck me was that, uh, uh, you know, I was one of the last to leave Hyde Park. But as we moved down Oxford Street, uh, i turned around to look behind me and suddenly there were the same number of people behind me as were yeah. in front of me so so clearly people were joining uh, all the time and it just uh, david it just was uh, a spectacular number
3: it, it was i mean I, as we walked down oxford street i was i was looking not only at the huge crowds but at the reaction of the shoppers and the the, the people on either side and uh, I was struck by one masked gentleman who was serving coffee in a street-side cafe, and he was looking at this huge crowd, and he just looked astonished, at least his eyes did. Uh, and, and he looked like he was seriously <laughs> considering what, what is going on. Um, I, I, he looked like a man who was thinking I'd been lied to. Uh, he was, the, 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 the sheer scale of the march was a huge statement in its own right. Um, and the other thing that came across was the, was the vast good, new, good nature of the, of the marchers. Um, and the fact that they were so wonderfully well informed.
1: Yeah, so we've just, uh, we've just done a quick time lapse here of this section as people walk past. And uh, this, I think, was Piccadilly Circus, I think if I'm right. And, and there were some people stopping. So, uh, but, you know, it just never seemed to end. It took a long time to get through.
0: It took a long time to get through. And in that particular sequence, uh, it sort of thinned out a bit. But uh, either side, the streets were packed. As you walked along, the streets were packed with people. And of course, for us, the thing which was really incredible is probably about every 15 minutes, somebody touched us on the shoulder and said, your UK column. And they wanted to talk and discuss things with us. And uh, overwhelmingly complimentary about what we were doing people very very concerned by what they were seeing in the uh happening in the country and thanking us for doing what we're doing which is trying to tell people the truth so we met lots of very very interesting people some old friends we've known from many years ago some new people new viewers new supporters from the uk column and it was just wonderful and um, the final picture there was of people in the uh Uh, in the park. I ended up back at the start in the park on my own. All of us had been split up during the march. And I did speak to quite a few people, but I knew if I stayed, I was probably going to be there for another three hours, which I couldn't do. So a wonderful atmosphere, uh, all ages, all colours, all nationalities ultimately, because there were many people who, who had come into the country. Um, And they were all desperately concerned about what's happening with lockdown, loss of liberty and vaccines and the adverse reactions, which is simply not being reported.
1: Uh, Now, one slightly amusing uh, episode uh, involved a police minibus uh, and unfortunately it ended up being sticker sticker bombed.
0: Uh, I I encountered this, Mike, and when I saw it, I, I just couldn't stop smiling because initially the van was there on its own. And it is plastered with stickers everywhere. So it's not just the back, it's the sides and and the front as well. And I looked at it and I couldn't help laughing because it was so brilliant. Then the policeman on the right turned up and when he first appeared, um, his mask with his jaw sort of hit the ground and he looked shell shocked. Uh, But ultimately, uh, this van was surrounded by police who felt it was their duty to protect the van from any more of those horrific stickers. So the police were not going to protect any members of the public. They were going to put a team of at least 20 people in a daisy chain around the van to make sure it wasn't stickered anymore.
1: Yes. Well, thank you very much to the person who sent me this little bit of video through because the van then got parked up the street. Uh, and a team got to work to to remove the stickers from it. Uh, and uh, so they were working very, very hard. Uh, they seem to have done a fairly good job. But what uh, uh, slightly amused me, Brian, well, first of all, who is this gent that is not in his police uniform? Is he just a, a passerby that volunteered to help or is he a policeman himself? Uh, but uh, most of the people uh, removing stickers from this aren't wearing flat peak caps. So I don't think they're constables, they're something more senior than that. So I'm glad to see the, the officers actually doing some work.
0: Yeah, it is it is incredible. Um, I'm I'm still smiling actually, because the simple act of a little bit of stickering has obviously caused the, a the big problem. Um, but uh, when we compare people placing stickers um, to some of the other more violent action that was clearly instigated in other demonstrations, I think we can see how well behaved and placid this um, anti-lockdown and and uh,
1: the crowd concerned about the vaccine adverse effects was. Um, so just uh, just wondering, finally, who that uh, gent is? How many more were in the crowd do you think that were in plain clothes, assuming that's what he is?
0: Well, I'm sure, sure they had quite a lot, Mike. Um, the police were generally pretty good. There were small groups stood along the, the route. I spoke to a group of three and I spoke to the uh, lady police officer. I asked her if she knew why people were demonstrating. She said immediately she did. And I said, can you tell me why people are demonstrating? And she said, no. Uh, I asked her why she couldn't tell me and she said, because I'm not here to give my personal opinion. And I said to her, well, we understand then if you're banned from giving your personal opinion, what sort of country we're we're, uh, living in. And that produced a sort of blankness in her eyes and I then moved on. But the key bit with that crowd is everybody in the crowd knew why they were there. They knew the information and the statistics about the dangers of vaccines and the adverse reactions and they were able to talk about their subject and i thought this was immensely powerful
1: uh, many uh, banners and posters we're going to look at a few of them in a second but first of all i thought this one would uh, very nicely kick off look,
0: there's a bit of the noise in the background yes, there how did uh, that happen
1: <laughs> kick off uh, a segment on the bbc's coverage of it so uh, the bbc are the virus brian
0: well yeah the bbc are the. i'm I'm laughing again, really, but it's it's black humour. Uh this was the article the BBC put up. London protests, thousands marched through the capital in day of process. And of course, the thing that I noticed was immediately that it it was just a few thousands, you know, there were a couple of thousand people there. Uh when you got into this report, it is fake BBC news. But this little story developed today, as we'll see. Uh, on the day, if you'd seen this um report with the BBC, Uh, you'd have got about halfway through and this image would have come up and it said, at the scene, Frankie McCamley, BBC News correspondent. So that little banner headline, presumably to reassure people that the BBC had got journalists on the streets and you were going to really find out what this demonstration was about. Uh, But that's absolutely not the case. Now, when I saw the article, as I always do, I went looking for the journalist Uh, Here she is uh, on her Twitter page. Um, They tend to like the glossy images. Of course, I can't have one of those. She's a lot better looking than I am. Uh, But clearly, this is all about her and her image. And uh, one of the tweets was this little film clip, uh, which repeats uh, it. The headline is no vaccine passports, no lockdowns. And do you get the scale of half a million people out of this little clip, Mike?
1: No, she very carefully selected a particular point uh, in the the march there.
0: Yeah, she selected it in order to give the impression on her Twitter page that there was only a few people protesting about vaccines and lockdown. So I took issue with it and I put this back. I said, well done, Frankie. You were at BBC News reporting a vast hundreds of thousands London demonstration warning of liberty and health dangers of lockdown and vaccines was superb creative journalism and brilliantly misleading fake news uh, you rightly star on ukcolumn.org news wednesday the 30th of june so i thought uh, i'd see how that went and it got quite a few retweets and quite a few likes um i noticed that somebody else quickly posted and what they did is put up this video clip which was taken by the helicopters and this really shows you the scale of the uh Of the march because this uh, scan uh, along the street just goes on and on and on and on and you can see the uh, concentration of people. Um, So what uh, Jay Milligan said is, uh, back to Frankie McCambley, was you missed a few people and the extent of the event, you folks at the BBC don't do yourself any favours with credibility, do you? Now this is where the story takes a little bit of a twist because This morning when we were preparing this report, I went to see if I could find this original article. And uh, I'd put in the search box here, we're in uh, DuckDuckGo. I could tell where the article was because it was highlighted because I'd already visited it. But when I clicked the link, something a little bit unexpected happened because the page couldn't be found. Uh, So it appeared that the BBC's report which was a fake news report anyway, has now been airbrushed from public view. Uh,
1: yeah, so I thought, well, okay, if DuckDuckGo um, is providing a link, maybe Google's got the updated link or something, maybe DuckDuckGo's just been a bit slow about updating their database. So we went and had a look at uh, Google and it was exactly the same result. Um, so I thought maybe it's in Google's cache. Well, it is in Google's cache, but if you're looking carefully at this video, as, as the cache page loads, you'll see that it initially starts to load the BBC page, but then suddenly it goes blank again. Um, So this is very strange. Uh, Google clearly uh, has the information, but doesn't want to show it to us. Now I tried this in multiple browsers. Uh, I tried it without uh, ad blockers, with ad blockers, uh, every possible way to to try to get this to load, but Google didn't want to show it to me. So clearly uh, Google seems to be respecting uh, the BBC's wish that that information should just disappear. I'm sure it's still on the Wayback Machine if people go and look.
0: Yeah, well, we're going to show show the uh, article anyway because uh, we luckily we did capture it. But uh, uh, the BBC so frightened of a report about hundreds of thousands uh, of people marching with concerns about vaccines, they have to work with Google uh, to get it censored. So this is the article. Um, We'll just give it to you as a little video clip so that you can see. Mainly images, not a lot of text or detail. I'm going to do a little bit of analysis on how devious the BBC were. Um, you should see here this particular image of um, uh, outside um, Downing Street is uh, full of smoke and quite dark. Uh, this is the section where our friendly lady journalist got going, uh, but the BBC produced, it, produced a lot of pictures and not much proper journalism. So let's take this thing apart. We're gonna bring Tim Davies name on screen because of course articles don't write themselves. The boss of the BBC, Tim Davies, responsible for this. So how did they fake the news? Well, the first thing is, of course, they took hundreds of thousands. We're gonna say half a million. Uh, that's a pretty safe bet, uh, but that was deliberately misreported as thousands. So how to take people's eye off the story, make it out that it didn't really happen. It then said that anti-lockdown and climate change, oh, sorry, both of those were mentioned together, anti-lockdown and climate change were mentioned, but there was nothing about vaccine adverse reactions and deaths. And as we've seen in our clip, Mike, that was the main protest and a lot of people with detailed banners. It went on, it immediately got into the Met police arrests, so, the arrests were promoted above the overwhelmingly peaceful and good nature atmosphere of the main vaccination protest. so they smeared the protest with the arrests, and uh, that was done right across the whole uh, of the report from the BBC, and they put in absolutely no evidence to s- say that those arrests were linked to the anti lockdown vaccine protest all of the at least anecdotal evidence seems to be that the arrests were linked to extinction rebellion, but the BBC didn't do anything with this. So the main demonstration itself was ignored. What they promoted was the action, that little bit of trouble in Downing Street, and that was reported with negative focus. So they talked about flares being used, the fact that people were saying shame on you, and apparently the tennis balls had not very nice messages. Yes. So the BBC couldn't even report that people had written some quite comprehensive messages on those tennis balls.
1: Yes. Well, first of all, the tennis balls uh, was uh, a reference to Wimbledon. Of course, everybody enjoying themselves at Wimbledon um, and people were putting messages on the tennis balls threw them into Downing Street. But this wasn't the problem. Uh, that This wasn't the cause of the, the police action at the time. What happened then was that there were, uh, later on, um, shouts of shame on you. Then something happened, which caused the crowd to start booing. And at that point, some person or persons unknown started throwing throwing beer cans into Downing Street. Now up until this moment, this instant, everything had been very uh, jolly and happy. And then suddenly the beer cans get thrown. The next thing that happened was that the gates opened opposite Downing Street and 20 or 30 police rushed in rugby tackled uh, several people and then rushed out again. And that was the end of it. There was a, It took in total about three, four minutes. Uh, and then it went back to the way it was before uh, this incident had occurred. This gave the uh, opportunity for headlines of violence and arrests and so on. Uh, but the image that the Daily Mail put on their website, uh, the person who was alleged to have thrown the beer cans seemed to be wearing a mask, Brian. And uh, since there was absolutely nobody on the entire march, wearing a mask, uh, that I saw. Um, this you do have to ask questions about who this person was.
0: Yeah, and you were present. I was there. there. Yes, well, yes was I witnessed happening. it myself. So, yes, yes. Yeah. So this is the key thing. We're talking from experience. So let's just add into our little analysis here about what the BBC's up to. That when it got into. Uh, Downing Street, the chosen image was particularly dark. It was focused on the smoke to make the whole scene appear more sinister and threatening. So that was creative manipulation of the data. Uh, but they they went on. Um, they chose this image to say these nasty anti-lockdown protesters placed a few stickers on an ambulance. So here's this lady. It is a bit of a shame that she's having to work to clean it off. But compare it with the public view um, of of the police, where obviously the the public were making a real statement as to what they thought of the police, but the BBC weren't there to see the van. They weren't interested. They weren't going to report. So let's come into our dedicated reporter now, Frankie McCamley. Uh, what did she do? Well, the opening claim she made was it didn't matter your cause. All groups mixed and chanted alongside each other. And I say this was absolutely not true because the anti uh, the anti-vaccine, vaccine adverse effects group um, was a huge protest, and that was all you saw were people talking. So the claim was that there, well, there were a few groups in London. They were all really the same thing. They all mixed and chanted alongside. This is misleading journalism. Thousands came to Regent Street bringing placards, flags and familiar chants. Again, she misleads people because she doesn't show the audience what people were talking about, which we have shown in our footage with the banners about vaccines and the government ministers, etc. No, according to Frankie McCamley from the BBC, it was all the same sort of thing. It was very difficult to work out who was who. And uh, she also said... This effectively not reporting anything on the lockdown and the vaccine adversary reaction protests. The whole demonstration is smeared because she writes more on Extinction Rebellion. So that's how you smear it. And of course, with Extinction Rebellion, she's talking raids, police confiscating bamboo structures, members arrested. She writes this knowing this smears the families in particular who came up for the. Uh, vaccine demonstration. And uh, I've said it here, really, she's going for these people. Um, Extinction Rebellion held a kill the bill protest alongside the anti-lockdown. Now, you could say, well, this is is sort of a bit grey, what she's talking about. But what she's selling to the public is that if you were a family member who went to London with your concerns about vaccines, you were going to be smeared with Extinction Rebellion. So if we summarise, there was no credible reporting of the concerns of half a million families, warning about loss of liberty in lockdowns and the dangers of vaccine adverse reactions. There was a failure to show any images of the vaccine banners and leaflets. And anybody who went for that cause was smeared by being described as extinction rebellion with the undertone that there had been violent altercations with the police this stuff requires people to take it on. This journalist needs to be taken on because she's been disingenuous with her reporting.
1: Um, Right, we're very, very behind with time here, but we're just gonna run through a couple of of our images or images that have been sent to us by a a couple of uh, contributors. Thank you very much for these. Uh, This first uh, banner says, uh, you cannot comply your way out of tyranny. Uh, They've got one here saying the uh, most washed things of 2020, 2021 are hands and brains. Uh, Then we've got, uh, well, uh, poor old Matt Hancock there. um,
0: There was a a lot of real, um, I don't want to say anger because it wasn't being expressed as over anger, but a lot of people were disgusted with the fact that this man has lectured them. It's told them that they've got to socially distance and wash their hands. And then the next moment uh, he's swapping spit with uh, a lady breaking all the rules. Um, did he use hand sanitizer before he touched her? We don't know, but really disgraceful stuff. And that, that, that demonstration saw through this man.
1: Yes, absolutely. Uh, and David, a few from you then. Uh, we've got, uh, uh, well, you better tell us about these ones.
3: Uh, well, this is, this is some uh, of the ladies in Hyde Park, this is before the march started, uh, and they've made a banner, which I was, I was very impressed with, not only because it was uh, hand-embroidered, uh, but also it's talking about the Bill of Rights and freedom. So this is another example of how well-informed the crowd were. Everyone had their reason for being there, and they were very eloquent explaining what it was. Uh, here we've got some, some, some ladies talking to Brian, there's Brian keeping his wig on there, that's excellent. Um, and uh, they've got uh, many messages on the umbrella, including a very nice statement about UK Column News. Right, we've... Uh, here's a lady who, who, was, uh, who had the Office for National Statistics all-cause mortality stats on a banner and uh, concluded what pandemic? Yes indeed, the statistics tell the story.
1: Yes. And then we've got uh, the media is the virus on the left uh, on one side of the banner and uh, UK column is the cure on the other.
3: Yes, well, I, I did like that one. That was lovely. Uh, and uh, here we got some, uh, so, some ladies here at once, one saying uh, love not lockdown. And the other one's talking about uh, what it is to live your life under lockdown and, and, and the, the, the lack of, of, of life that's available to us. So there was, it was a very friendly, very lively uh, event. You, you can see here the, the, from the smiles and, and the passion on display, just the sort, of, uh, the, the sort of spirit people were bringing to it. And there was a lot of hugs. Uh, we all got hugged a great deal. This, this young lady is called Katie. We'll be interviewing her shortly. She's also known as Dolly Parton. She did a, a Dolly Parton skit on vaccines, which was excellent. And she's doing many other things uh, on the ground to uh, promote liberty and uh, get, encourage people to ask questions. So we'll be finding all about that, that soon. Yes.
0: Okay. Well, tr- that was truly excellent. We did enjoy meeting and talking to people. And it, yeah, that bit was absolutely lovely. Uh, I just picked up uh, on the Daily Mail reporting on this same same event because, um, interestingly, there was more detail in their article than the BBC. However, uh, you'll notice from this headline here of tens of thousands of anti-lockdown protesters march on London, the same um, tactic is used that you simply deny the process was as big um, as it really was. So this is misleading. I suspect this is the headline chosen by the editor, and I'll explain why I'm saying that in a minute, Uh, but let's label it. So misleading headline, read the numbers, um, but they did get some detailed reporting. And if I bring some of this in screen, on screen, you can see it. So we got tens of thousands of the protesters, uh, but they were demanding the arrest of Man Hancock, and a lot of people were. Um, after he was caught breaching COVID rules. So this uh, young reporter, Kate Dennett, is actually a trainee reporter, but in her, in her article, unlike the BBC, she's actually giving us some real facts and information. Um, so we've got Hancock being caught breaking the rules by kissing his married aide uh, while preaching restrictions. It says that uh, protesters marched through the capital before descending on downing, uh, street. And she goes back on to the fact that people were saying that the police should arrest Matt Hancock. And I certainly think they should. It would be nice to see. She talked about the stickers. She said that people did not want the vaccine passports. Uh, people young and old took part, that it was all in uh, in good spirit. There were face uh, masks and face masks and placards. And she's even got some quotes from people. A lady said, I'd rather be doing something else with my weekend, but I'm going to keep coming on these protests because I don't trust what the government is doing. So the Daily Mail threw a trainee reporter at this uh, story and the reporting leaves the BBC in the dust. Mm. It's uh, pretty blatant. So we're going to give that young reporter uh, a tick in the box and say, keep going, because if you can report some of the truth, you're doing a lot better than one of the BBC's uh, media uh, instructors.
1: Um, so we'll just have a look at a couple more. Um, and uh, well, we'll the Boris variant there. Uh,
0: the, these, are, these are all from the Daily Mail. And uh, uh, again, you can see the difference because they are showing the placards and what people have been concerned with. And this uh, appropriate picture was on the back of a a rucksack and the Daily Mail put this picture out. So I'm gonna bring Kate Dennett back on screen. She's a trainee reporter at the Daily Mail. We're gonna give her a green tick because
1: she's done a pretty good job of getting some of the truth out there. Um, And then on Sunday, well, we met on Parliament uh, Square on the green and uh, lots of people turned up, people coming and going, of course. Uh, So uh, thank you very much to everybody that arrived. Uh, all very keen to to discuss things with each other and with us uh, and that was really fantastic and then we're not going to do an extra today because uh, we're going to run the news for as long as we possibly can here we've got a lot to get through uh, but uh, we did record a little bit on the morning of Sunday morning which we're going to put up in lieu of an extra after the news program uh, today yeah Uh, Okay, so if you like what the column does, and you would like to support us, then please head over to ukcolumn.org forward slash community and their options to join us and help us out there. That'd be very much appreciated, much needed, and also do share our material on the various platforms as well. Uh, But Brian, uh, something...
0: Well, we've had quite a lot of emails in from people, which I'd like to acknowledge. This one was just, I'm going to say, terrible because uh, uh, they pushed out a a tweet in which there was a clip of Dame Sarah Gilbert getting a standing ovation at Wimbledon. Um, So you thought people were there to watch uh, tennis, but no, no, we were going to talk about vaccines. And we were going to praise the, uh, uh, this particular lady uh, who just looked slightly embarrassed as the whole audience roared and cheered that they'd been stabbed with a chemical, that they didn't really understand what it was. So I'm just going to na- they label this as yuck, yuck, yuck. Uh, but we've had more information. So we had a, a document come in from Wales uh, where the person has said, just look at the language. So basically, you've got to get vaccinated because it's the best way to help get our lives back to normal. For example, holidays. Uh, return to sporting events, allowing full-scale weddings, um, continue to enjoy recently restored freedoms and avoid further lockdowns. So the person who sent this found all of this pretty childish and offensive, but this is the type of stuff being pushed out. Uh, we had this sent in from Australia, so thank you very much to Mandy. She said she lives in Adelaide, Adelaide, South Australia, and she was delighted when this popped through her door and a gentleman has been pushing out uh, a substantial number of these leaflets let's have a look men and women of australia i feel duty bound to bring the following to your attention the australian government's therapeutic goods administration report confirms 210 deaths and 24 adverse reactions after the covid-19 vaccinations and this is basically Uh, pushing the data at people, showing they should be concerned because of the vaccine adverse effects. But this is a private individual that's gone to the trouble to get these leaflets printed and pushed out to people's homes. Uh, Not surprisingly, of course, the local media, oh my goodness, they're all in a flutter. Uh, Here's the gentleman, Clive Palmer, and his anti-COVID-19 vaccination flyers land in Launceston, Launceston, Uh, Mm -hmm. right. Yeah, Yeah, Launston letterboxes got there. Um, And of course, what the article says pretty vehemently is people should ignore unsolicited medical advice. We're not gonna look at the figures and the data which comes from the government. We're just gonna say, don't trust it, even though it's from the government itself. We got this one from Argentina. Uh, It's talking about um, clinical trials on ivermectin. It says that a Dr. Cavallo in 2020 Uh, did trials, the results are published and provided to the Argentinian government. And it also says that ivermectin is manufactured in Argentina, but it's not known in Argentina that COVID-19 can be treated with it. So this is being suppressed. Uh, We got this one sent from New Zealand, and uh, there's some interest here that Chinese, um, the first trial with Chinese developed vaccine is coming in. So One minute the Chinese are our enemies and the next minute they're our friends, but they're going to pump us full of stuff as well. And then this was quite uh, delightful. I just took a little bit of the email. Toby said, I'm lucky enough to be self-sufficient and would only ask what you chaps think you want on the boat. Personally, I'm happy to cover every square inch of the hull, but let me know your thoughts. When I used to sail for Palestine, I used to imagine a few boats flying the flag so you never know it might catch on well relax because we're not about to abandon uk uh, but this was the vessel before and thanks to our viewer this is the vessel afterwards and uh, this wonderful yacht is going to be sailing around the coast broadcasting b- broadcasting uk column news to the local boat owners so thank you for that uh, toby we're also going to say thank you to jace the computer wizard for helping the damsel in electronic distress. So Jace, you will know who you are. Thank you very much for what you've done.
1: Okay, where does that take us? I've that, no idea, Mike. We've got to this who? to
0: America's frontline doctors.
1: Yes, but this takes us to Alex. And uh, Lisbon court rules that only ni- 0.9% of verified cases died of COVID numbering 152, not 17,000, Alex.
4: Yes, Mike. And if you tap on that again, you will see more detail. People who aren't following America's frontline doctors very much should be. Uh, We always go to source documents. So here is the judge of the Administrative Tribunal of Lisbon Circuit who signed off this finding, uh, Pedro Moreira. And thank you for tapping again. We now see uh, an accurate translation uh, from a Portuguese website that AFD has picked up on. Uh, The relevant parts of the findings are that Judge Moreira, bear in mind in a a European civil law jurisdiction, judges find these things themselves. They don't hear arguments from lawyers. They go and find them themselves. He has said that SICO, the uh, only official Portuguese uh, database of uh, post-mortem information, or at least cause of death information, the Death Certificate Information System uh, has found only 152 deaths which are confirmed as being of Covid, And this is uh, not the first time a Lisbon court has, as we've reported in the past, in fact, has been a bit dissident about this. The the percentages in question are very comparable to what, in one case, Scotland found out through a freedom of information request. David may have the exact figures, but similarly, uh, a finding of low hundreds of people in the country having been actually confirmed as having died of COVID, but you have to press and press and be either a court or a freedom of information requester in order to find this amount of detail. Uh, and this brings us rather uh, seamlessly into uh, the, the 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 doyen of all those in Europe who are seeking to use the courts for uh, COVID truth. And that is, of course, Rainer Fulmich and his uh, Stiftung Corona Ausschuss, uh, because in the state of Thuringia, now run by a very questionable government after an extremely odd intervention by the the federal level by Merkel, Thuringia and its very politically motivated uh, public prosecutors, DAs in American terms, or fiscals as they'd be called in Scotland, have really gone with a vengeance yesterday uh, for uh, eight of the judicial uh, or the legal people uh, involved with the effort and indeed with a new party called Die Basis. Uh So the lower of these images here, both of these are actually in Dutch, um, is just with a stock photo of German police bursting in, uh, reports that members of the Debasis party allied with the corona Ausschuss movement um, have had their homes raided. So that's uh, Ulrike Kemmerer uh, is the main name there and the, the Dutch molecular geneticist who's retweeting that at the top of the left-hand side uh, Says uh, this is really something. I'll just uh, zoom in my image so I can see that a, a bit better. Uh, what the Dutch person is uh, tweeting: um, the the um, the police seized a book about PCR tests. I'll have more about that. That's being retweeted by the Dutchman. The right hand side has uh, the Stiftung Corona Auschwitz's own news report on this because they, they have a more or less in-house journal 2020news.de reporting quite a lot of the detail about the state prosecutor in Erfurt in the German state of Thuringia, um, which is uh, f- confirming to us that the Weimar family court judge Christian Detmar, who of course we reported on at the time, um, had listened to similar arguments as that Portuguese judge just now, uh, but more particularly on the inefficiency of the PCR test and the effects on children, he, who at the time had been raided for that judgment, he was one of the eight who had these synchronized raids on his home. And he has actually spoken out in that report saying, this is very questioning and troubling for the rule of law. The mother of the children who were used as the, the subjects for this family court test case, uh, herself was subject to raids. Uh, and uh, two of the, uh, those who were, um, as I say, involved in Debarsi's uh, party, uh, the uh, professor of biology Ulrike Kemmerer, Uh, had been raided, and in Professor Kemmerer's case, she says that one of the things that the Polizei came to seize was this, Uh, our German viewers will know about this, by the pseudonym Illa, the PCR disaster, a very widely circulating uh, PDF in German-speaking countries. Uh, This, in a parallel to at least what happened in one British police force uh, instance uh, with a house raid, this was gone for. It seems that the police had been told, seize anything which has PCR on it. And one of those who had the raids uh, carried out asked, uh, what's the charge against me? And was told, of course, bear in mind, this is coalface, Peter Pollitt's eye language, not very refined judicial stuff. The response was, you are uh, being targeted because you are spreading unauthorized alternative information uh, about PCR and COVID. Uh, so that is the unfortunately the state we're in that that uh, that hasn't been translated into English yet. Uh, but uh, it is particularly worrying uh, as well actually that uh, Uli Masut or um, Ulrich Masut, who is uh, together with uh, Ulrike Kemmerer, the the main uh, lead, the leading light in Debas's party, who lives in Weimar as well, uh, has said that uh, of the nine I think it was uh, uh, devices seized from his marital home, only one belonged to his wife. In other words, her uh, Apple computer. Eight belongs to him and he wasn't given the legal basis for the seizure. It looks like there's just a, an order from the German political prosecutors now, who, as I say, are very politically controlled by the parties, go after these people. The, the, the semblance of lawfulness has disappeared. But so has it also stateside, because perhaps one of the best-known anchors in world TV at the moment, Tucker Carlson, uh, others have been saying as well in comment that he's pushing the boundaries of what the deep state will accept, and certainly Fox News will accept. So he's now reporting that my old chums NSA uh, have a little team looking at him. I'm no longer going to dismiss that out of hand as I would have done a few years ago. I'm not just going to come up with, oh, yes, but the law doesn't allow them to. He was tipped off by what he says was an NSA insider, um, that this was the case. And he did the old uh, uh, trusty trick uh, of, should we say, whispering, stage whispering something in, a, in, an, in an email um, uh, or an electronic communication of some sort, pretending that this was his new uh, media policy and uh, quick as a flash that information did leak into the mainstream and he says that he's been told by the source this is preparatory to him being taken off air. Uh, so and I think we're now we're going forward to... No Alex, the if, you don't, if,
1: you, Alex if you don't mind we're just going to uh, just jump forward a little bit uh, to to India um, and uh, because yes. we're, we, we do need to, to move along a little bit but uh, India could sentence World Health Organization chief scientist to death for misleading over ivermectin and killing Indians what, what's uh, this report about then?
4: Next Big Future has done a particularly good write up and the links at the top of the write up go straight to the PDF in, in question, which is what we always like to see. Obviously, this is written in not over sensational language, but they look for the headline language. We're talking here about Dr. Suma uh, Swaminathan, the lady who runs the WHO in India. And you can see the, um, uh, the, the, the lawsuit documents uh, here, the legal notice being issued to three respondents, the top two of which are Dr. Swaminathan, Indian WHO head, and underneath that, of course, Dr. Uh, Dr. Tedros, the WHO chief. The India Bar, Indian Bar Association is not a regulatory body as it would be uh, in other countries with the, the name Bar Association. It is a, a private association of lawyers meeting with a particular aim. Uh, but I've included it largely for the spectacular language in it. And the the, the suggestion of death comes from the, the penalty in the Indian Code uh, for for murder, which is, of course, the, the thing they'll find hardest to prove. But the summons here says that Dr. Swaminathan's being... Uh, uh, sued for contempt of court and aggravated offences against humanity by tweeting the day after the, the state of Tamil Nadu in southern India decided it was going to put ivermectin on its schedule to treat covid patients she tweeted out but no the who says we she mustn't do we mustn't do that and Tamil Nadu then withdrew ivermectin from its state protocols so the petitioner, as you can see, is actually a bunch of advocates, not an official body. Um, but it's the state of Goa uh, in, in the, the, the state where uh, Bombay is, where where the uh, the action is happening. So uh, if you keep tapping on that, you'll see some of the the purple passages. This is the why the mention of death is in the headline because the Indian uh, Penal Code punishes murder if you can prove it duly with imprisonment for, with death or imprisonment for life. You can see more of the flowery language and the claims here that by tweeting we mustn't use either Mac Mexin. Uh, she had shown contempt for the judgment of Bombay High Court uh, and had exposed her dubious behaviour Lord Denning he of uh, the Constitution's uh, Guide to the Constitution series that we feature Um, has been prayed in age, showing that the common law is still one around the world, and English law is followed very closely there. And uh, here we have some of the uh, paragraphs. I know we're very short of time, but look at the paragraphs 33 to 36 here, if you can freeze the screen. The main charge there is that she knew she was being unscientific in her language and was trying to cover her tracks with adverbs like possibly, which uh, ordinary people wouldn't notice. And how about this for some wonderful Indian English? It is crystal clear that you, and this this is uh, addressing Dr. Swaminathan and her boss, Dr. Tedros, do not have scientific evidence except jugglery of words. Wonderful Indian English. And you are thoroughly intellectually dishonest people who are playing with the lives and livelihoods of the common people across the world. I think we even have one more uh, on that slide. Oh, yes, here we are. The the Desert Review from uh, Inland California from Imperial Valley has also picked up on this with a good amount of detail and in parts of the uh, the summons, which uh, I couldn't find uh, towards the end, it's accusing her of pulling the wool over the whole world's eyes. US attorneys are cited. Again, it's an international uh, amount of legal information and argument that's gone into this. You can see that the whole of the Western world now, continental, and common law jurisdictions are feeding off each other. The dissidents there are actually citing in courts the information, which is exactly what Rainer Filmmaker and his associates were expecting to happen. So whether or not one organization uh, gets uh, the killer judgment or not is not really the issue, it is now being subjected on several continents, don't forget Africa here as well, is going to be quite important. Uh, the the arguments on PCR and uh, on jabs and on effectiveness of treatments and statistical massaging are now going before judges. And it's not the case that all judges and juries around the world are corrupt, actually. So uh, there is some hope here.
1: Okay, well, let's uh, come back to the UK then. And, uh, well, we've been receiving emails, a number of emails from people saying that uh, their children or children that they know have been sent home from school as a result of Uh, colleagues at school, uh, other pupils being uh, in receipt of a positive uh, SARS-CoV-2 test. Now that might not seem strange, but uh, what uh, people are getting uh, upset about is that uh, in many cases, these have been uh, false positives as a result of children following the advice on a TikTok video, suggesting that orange juice is a good way to end up uh, getting a positive test on a lateral flow test. Um, So the question is, is it true? Uh, I'm not doubting uh, the emails that have come in, but does it actually work? Well, I had a go last night at trying to get orange juice to to trigger a lateral flow test and wasn't successful at it, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't work. But this is the leader here and their headline is warning as viral videos show show fruit juice being used to create false positive COVID tests. Now, of course, this this isn't new in a sense because back in uh, December, uh, this gent, the Austrian politician, Uh, Michael uh, Schneiditz uh, on his Facebook page posted a video of him speaking in the uh, Austrian parliament and he was using Coca-Cola to get a positive result from a uh, lateral flow test. Um, And uh, well this resulted in fact in a statement from the company involved. Um, This is them, Dialab, Uh, this is the company that Australia uses. I'm sure they're all manufactured in China, but nonetheless, now this is what they said. There are things to consider here that have been applied incorrectly. First, the sample was not swirled with a buffer. This is with respect to the Coca-Cola. Uh, if the test is carried out correctly, the sample is always swirled first in a liquid brackets buffer that keeps the pH value constant. Uh, and because he didn't do that, you just, he destroyed the antibody protein of the test. Uh, This result would be expected from any other manufacturer. So despite the fact I couldn't get it to work, clearly other people are. uh, And uh, this is the response from the company involved. This resulted then back in December in a fact check from USA Today. Uh, And this is the headline, fact check, improper use of COVID-19 test gives false positive for Coca-Cola. And I just wanted to highlight the conclusion, uh, which is that their rating was false. We rate the claim that a glass of sorry a glass of Coca-Cola returned positive on a rapid COVID-19 test as false, as it's not supported by our research. The claim originates from Austrian politician uh, Michael Schneidlitz, uh, who tested a glass of Coca-Cola in front of the Austrian Parliament on December the 10th, and Dialab, the manufacturer of the kit, uh, released a video a day after demonstrating that he used the test improperly, resulting in a false positive. Okay, Uh, but. Uh, That's not the point, is it? The point here is that he still got a positive result. It was a false positive result. And now it seems that uh, children in the UK are doing the same. Uh, And of course, that doesn't just uh, mean that they get sent home from school. It means that probably their entire year gets sent home from school. Uh, And of course, what happened next was the uh, the BBC, uh, for example, yesterday uh, on Women's Hour was uh, promoting uh, generating we promoting the idea that children need to be vaccinated because uh, it, this children being sent home from school is causing problems for single parents in particular who are generally women. Um, so it, it's all building nicely into a narrative but uh, maybe people need to be paying a bit more attention to what uh, is being used as part of these tests. Maybe we shouldn't be using tests that can be gamed in this way in the first place. Um, I just wanted to, uh, I'll just move on from this one. Actually, if you just give me one second. Um, And we'll head to Scotland. Uh, David, speaking of schools, um, here is, uh, well, what is going on here? Apparently we've got what people being monitored within schools for the types of uh, uh, things that are being said.
3: Well, here we have this is Education Scotland and the Scottish Government, and it's a briefing note to education providers and senior management within the schools. Uh, so it's the senior leaders. And it warns that during the pandemic, we have seen a significant decline in prevent referrals. This is the anti terror um, system that's rolled out into schools. So, so fewer people are being referred to prevent. You would think this is a good thing, but no, this means a bad thing in the, in the eyes of the government. Um, raising concerns about the welfare of vulnerable children and young people. It is important that settings consider the uh, radicalization concerns, particularly as children and young people may have been exposed to disinformation, misinformation and conspiracy theories, sometimes called fake news, as extremists seek to exploit COVID-19 to spread hateful narratives and increase mistrust and division. You actually have to wonder at the psychological condition of the person that writes this garbage, because they're not well, right? That's a bizarre. So few people, fewer children have been, have been um, referred to prevent and the assumption is, well, this means that the radicalization is going un, uh, unaddressed. So they go in and then they list the specifics of uh, of the of the, the nasty radicalization that might be surrounding the COVID-19 narrative. Um, and they list anti-Semitic conspiracies blaming the Jewish community for spreading the virus. I, I've honestly never heard of that one. I thought it was the Chinese. That, well, we'll get to them, we'll get to Chinese. Claims that British Muslims have, found, have flouted social distancing rules and spread the virus. Narratives promoting anti-Chinese hatred. Daesh-inspired, Daesh-inspired narratives claiming that the pandemic is divine punishment for the West's sinful behaviour. Extreme right-wing conspiracies claiming that society is collapsing and that right-wing terrorism can accelerate its end through inciting social conflict. Never heard of that one either. Wider conspiracy theories relating to 5G tests and... Um, and protect an anti-vax, which can be detrimental to public health uh, messaging. So if you're saying something that disagrees with this government's uh, public health messaging, uh, these people are rolling you into a group with uh, anti-Semites, uh, anti-Islamic, uh, far-right and um, anti-Chinese conspiracy theorists, it's a very bizarre little bit of uh, advice from the Scottish government. So they then go on to give um, specific advice as to what we should do, uh, and they list um, uh, places where advice can be got uh, on on avoiding all of this nasty disinformation and fake news. So they, they, they've got several BBC um, channels here, uh, BBC Real News channels, which teach you how to... Um, enhance your, your digital literacy. And also the share checklist, a government website offering five easy steps to identify whether information might be false. I thought that was worth a look. So step number one, source. Rely on official sources for medical and safety information. Check the facts about vaccinations and coronavirus on the NHS website and gov.uk. Yes, lads, we did that, and that's why we got banned from YouTube and Twitter, right? Because the government's own statistics are now a nasty anti-vax narrative, apparently. Headline, headlines don't tell the full story. Read the article, okay, thank you very much. Analyze, analyze the facts. If something sounds unbelievable, it very well it very well might be. Yes, we know. Um, retouched. Watch out for misleading pictures, videos, and stories. Um, they might be edited or shown in an unrelated place or event. Error. Look out for mistakes, typos, and errors. Yes, I mean this is not entirely bad news. But um, the the bit about trusting the government. Well, um, that we are getting banned for talking about government statistics we're being censored for talking about government statistics. What does that suggest, Mike, about the degree to which the narrative is in fact false?
1: Uh, Indeed, but uh, let's quickly move on to this because sticking with the subject of disinformation and misinformation, uh, just a few days ago, uh, an event was held uh, at EU level because of course the UK is leading the way with its online safety legislation which is coming uh, into, well, into Parliament very, very soon. But uh, at the EU level, they're looking towards a Paris Agreement for disinformation. The ambition the EU needs from a new code of practice on disinformation and the Digital Services Act. So they are following along with the uh, the theme. But who would be organising this? Do you think is it the European Commission? Is it uh, some national government? No, it's George Soros. It is Avaz. This is an Avaz uh, event. Um, so let's just have a look at uh, what. Sorry, sorry, I'll just uh, mention a little bit more about who was involved in this, aside from Evaz, EU Disinfo Lab, Facebook, uh, the Center for Countering Digital Hate. Um, And guess who else was speaking there, David? Our good old friend, Carol Cadwallader um, was speaking, of course, uh, Mrs. uh, Integrity Initiative herself. So that was a fantastic event and uh, we'll have more on that in due course, um, I'm sure. Now, let's just move on. You got a a quick uh, preview of it there a second ago. Uh, The Bank for International Settlements are very excited, uh, David, because they have their forthcoming uh, annual economic report coming out and they've published uh, a preview of uh, a chapter, an entire chapter has been previewed here. It's all about uh, digital, central bank digital currencies. They offer digital form, in digital form, the unique advantage of central bank money, settlement finality, liquidity and integrity initiative, uh, bolstering the central bank foundations of the payment system. And I just wanted to look at some of the briefly key points here and get your comments on this. So uh, first of all, we've got some nice graphs because they're very excited about the fact that cash use is falling and digital payments are rising and therefore the the central bank digital currency projects are moving ahead. And they've got some nice graphs showing the cumulative uh, project score for, uh, for uh, CDBC, CBDC, sorry uh, retail and in wholesale. Uh, this is a good one. Uh, this is showing uh, what the monetary system with retail central bank digital currencies is gonna look like. So we're gonna have cash, which is a direct claim on the central banks. We're gonna have retail central bank digital currencies, which are a direct claim on the central bank. Uh, and we will continue to have consumers bank deposits Uh, Which is a bank on the commercial bank, sorry, a claim on the commercial banks. Um, And then they uh, say this uh, they're making it clear that we understand exactly what's going on uh, because these are the forms of digital central bank money. Uh, And uh, so we've got digital central bank money there, which splits into two. Uh, The wholesale uh, digital uh, central bank digital money currency will only be available for financial institutions, but there'll also be retail. And there'll be two forms of retail CBDC. Uh, one will be account based, which is everybody's uh, uh, payments will be tracked and identifiable, and others will be token based, uh, where users can be can be anonymous. Um, so they're basically looking to take over from Bitcoin here. Uh, but uh, David, you must be impressed by the direction of travel.
3: Well, I'm not surprised because when, uh, when I discovered some years ago that the railway station next to the Bank of International Settlements, Swiss Headquarters, had a Bitcoin dispensing machine in it, it was quite clear that there was no objection to, to uh, cryptocurrency by the, by the central bankers. I love the phrase, claim on the central bank. Since all that they have now is digital O's and 1's, what exactly does claim on the central bank mean? If I take my 10 pound note along there and I want to what, get something for it, what will they give me? Well, another 10 pound note, presumably, or, or maybe a digital, a digital credit of 10 pounds on a ledger somewhere. It won't, won't be a claim against anything real because, of course, there's nothing real underpinning the system at all anymore.
1: Um, Indeed, and of course, that's the way it needs to be because the system itself has, well, it's evaporated into cloud of nothingness, really. Uh, It is not real in itself, so they need some currency which is not real uh, to to work with that. Now, some fantastic news over the weekend, uh, Brian and Alex. Uh, Classified Ministry of Defence documents found at a bus stop. Now, of course, we've seen this kind of thing. They went in a bin or something, if I remember. uh, in the past yeah
0: that was one of the politicians wasn't it um yes i think it was dropped them. yes indeed, as you do unfortunately he was seen
1: he was seen putting them in the bin by and somebody photographed it but anyway this was a surprise uh it was a surprise and some member of the public found these documents thought they were really important and instead of taking them to the police uh, took them to the bbc that was the yeah. best place to take them just a coincidence by the by the way that these documents were about Uh, HMS defender who is in the Black Black Sea at the moment making trouble uh, and that there just happens to be a BBC reporter on board as it's making trouble with the Russians. But anyway, um, the documents were found at a bus stop on the morning of the 22nd of June by this private citizen uh, who chose to remain anonymous. Uh, He then handed them to the BBC. And then the BBC published a story about it on the 27th of June. And there's no explanation about why there was a delay in that. Um, So the BBC uh, said that uh, the documents uh, include discussions about the transit of HMS Defender from uh, Odessa to Batumi in Georgia. We'll look at that in a second. But the BBC wasn't the only uh, group to report or the media outlet to report it, Brian.
0: Well, this this is true. But um, I just saw this DW story here and I was interested in the title. So opinion why Putin and NATO are facing off Um, on the Black Sea and if you go into the article, it's all about the uh, Royal Navy's destroyer and what was happening and how this is terribly aggressive and the West has got to show that nasty Putin what's what. Um, So I found this one, South China Morning Post and wow, I was very interested in this because it had quite a lot of detail on what these documents were. So their headline was secret UK defence documents detailing warships movements discovered at bus stop. Now I paid attention to that because if you've got, um, if you've got detail about the ship itself, that could be very serious, but this was about an operation. And I thought this is very interesting. And uh, if we get into it, the documents appear to show that the British, British officials knew the route of, um, Uh, The warship could lead to a possible reaction from the Russians, but taking an alternative passage could be considered by Moscow as the UK being scared or running away. Um, The UK government thought that it would provide an opportunity to, quote, engage with the Ukrainian government and what the UK recognises Ukrainian territorial waters. Um, So um, I just thought, yeah, so the UK took the route which it knew would provoke the Russians, Mike, was right, right. my thought on
1: this. So the, the, the name for this operation is Op Detroit or something like this. I'm not quite sure how it's pronounced. Um, but the documents uh, say that uh, the Royal Navy and the Russians in the East, uh, discussed the Royal Navy interaction with the Russians in, in the Eastern Mediterranean, that they had been professional and unremarkable. Uh, but that officials knew that, that that sort of relationship that they had experienced previously in the Mediterranean was going to change now that they were in the Black Sea. And it's, the document said that following the transition from defence engagement activity to operational activity is highly likely that the Russian Navy and the Russian Air Force interactions will become more frequent and assertive. Um, and they said that uh, uh, there were a series of slides involved in this and uh, one described a safe and professional direct transit from Odessa uh, to uh, Batumi, um, and uh, that using a what they call a traffic separation scheme um, would provide an opportunity to engage with the Ukrainian government in what the UK recognizes as Ukrainian territorial waters. so so this was all going on. So let's just have a brief look. There's a map of the area. We've got Italy on the left, of course, Turkey to the south, uh, the Black Sea there. And if we just zoom in, and have a look at the route that uh, they were trying to go was from Odessa in the northwest there to uh, Batumi in the southeast. So, um, Alex, maybe I could uh, ask you for comment at the moment. Really, there could be no other outcome here other than trouble. trouble.
4: No, exactly right, uh, Mike. And uh, this is my area of expertise in the world, the Black Sea, and uh, both of the countries involved, Ukraine and Georgia, now admitted pretty much by everyone to be proxies for NATO, and particularly the UK and US, have a long history of, of sabre-rattling. The Russian Ministry of Defense called the Ukrainian Navy a mosquito fleet in dealing with this latest Defender incident. And you've you've, you've really set it up very well there. You do have to skirt fairly close to Crimea if you want the uh, the most efficient route between the two ports there, uh, but you can stay a bit out to sea. What's changed now is that the uh, the talking shop, the bubble, uh, has run away with its own delusions, which it hadn't in 2008 when these two countries were, by Merkel's insistence, snubbed for NATO membership, which would have probably led to World War Three one way or another. That's no longer the case. So instead of what in Brian's day would have been Admiralty or, you know, shortly after that era, uh, proper uh, braided officers talking in secret bunkers about the roots of warships and subs, now we have a policy bubble of people who have grown up and a whole generation since the Cold War now believing that the Russians are a paper tiger and that we must stand up to them who've never seen any kind of service in any kind of security or military setting. And they believe they can go up that close to the revamped Russian Navy, which in a few years time as particularly the Durand's good at reporting, but many other outlets as well now. Uh, the Russian Navy will be superior to the British and particularly, and even the American Navy in the Black Sea and the Eastern Med, uh, both surface and subsurface and land bases, uh, let alone the missiles. All of that in the picture, uh, that the bubble is still thinking that it's a clapped out, uh, out um, post Soviet fleet and that we can go fairly close to them and expect nothing to happen in the video uh, which the Russian Ministry of Defense has released of the shots across the bows of HMS Defender, you can clearly hear, it's, it will be difficult to stage that, what you can hear the captain calling on the bridge to the uh, the weapons officers um, is defendera, avoid hitting the Defender, right? So it is that warship, unless that was elaborately staged, you can see the footage, uh, which both the Pentagon at Rear Admiral level and the British uh, denied for a, um, the better part of a week had ever happened. You can see HMS Defender filmed from within the bridge uh, of the Russian warship in question, which only had to pootle a little bit out of its home port of Sevastopol. You can see, you can see and hear them firing the missiles, and this was denied. So we're, we're in a stage of cloud cuckoo land that we haven't had uh, you know, for a long time, and it's not just me being a Putin fanboy uh saying that the russian navy is going to be superior particularly in that part of the world to the uk and us navies before long Uh, this is something which almost every day now uh, the military times collection of articles which is a good subscription list for those who are interested almost every day someone in the beltway is putting a think piece together for the attention of the biden administration and particularly the pentagon saying the russians could beat us in a naval war right so this is well known and yet uh, people are so deluded in that policy apparatus that they think they can get away with this. I shudder to think what's next.
1: Uh, indeed. Well, let's just have a look at uh, the various, uh, I'll get your thoughts on, on the Russian uh, response to this in a second. But uh, before we do that, uh, Nick Carter, Chief of the Defence Staff uh, in The Times here from the 25th of uh, of June, um, saying that uh, he's kept awake, awake at night by the risk of war. Of course, he's not kept awake at night by the risk of war at the moment because he's self-isolating as a result of COVID along with... Has he been,
0: uh, has the, he been using orange juice? I,
1: I don't know, but uh, perhaps one of them was because uh, the uh, defence secretary, the Def- chief of the defence staff, the chief of the general staff and several others of the military top brass uh, are in fact all self-isolating. As a res- uh, So we have effectively no military command in this country at the moment. But anyway, what was Carter saying that uh, uh, very concerned about unwarranted escalation, a classic example of the battle of the narratives, the jury is out and who won the battle. Uh, the thing keeps me awake in bed at night as, is, a, is a miscalculation that comes from unwarranted escalation. This sort of thing we saw in the Black Sea on Monday and Tuesday is the sort of thing it could come from. Uh, we wouldn't have done on that occasion, sorry, we wouldn't have done on that occasion but it's the type of thing one needs to think quite hard about. Well, what were the Russians saying? Here is the uh, Russian ambassador, Alexei Ke- uh, Kellen. Um, the nightmare is that they're trying to reinforce a political position with a military provocation, which indeed can lead us to a serious military incident. He said, I hope to clarify this matter with them and say quite clearly that either we have a political dialogue or a provocation. Uh, and then Sergei Lavrov uh, uh, was getting... Uh, uh, quite controversial about the rules-based international order as was uh, Ms. Zakharova, but we'll come on to that in a second. The beauty of these Western rules lies precisely in the fact that they lack any specific content. Uh, So we're really criticizing the fact that the West just makes it up as they go along. When someone acts against the will of the West, it immediately responds with a groundless claim that the rules have been broken. without bothering to present any evidence and declares that it's right to hold the perpetrators accountable. Uh, this less, The less specific they get, the freer their hand to carry on with the arbitrary practice of employing di- dirty tactics as a way to com- uh, pressure competitors. As for Russia, it's high time that everyone understands that we've drawn a definitive line under any attempts to play a one-way game with us. Uh, an interesting detail in Russian, the words law and rule share a single root. To us, a rule is, is uh, sorry a rule that is genuine and just, as set inseparable from, from the law. This is not the case for Western languages. For instance, in English, the words "law" and "rule" do not share any resemblance. Uh, rule is not so much about the law in the sense of generally accepted laws, it's about decisions decisions taken by one who rules or governs. So he's having a go at the UK and the West for uh, you know using this rules based uh, order. Alex because they're he's criticizing really for taking this attitude that they are the rulers and everybody needs to follow their rules.
4: Of course we're nearly 2 hours into this so uh, people may be flagging but uh, it is uh, it's hard to overstate the importance of someone as senior as Sergey Lavrov. Pointing this out because uh, it has not escaped commentators' attention that the UK and US talk, especially at UN security le- and think tank level, UN Security Council level, about the rules-based international order, uh, which you know, is for is deliberately setting different standards uh, because you know, the guard for different countries because the guardians of one are not are not subject to the other, as it were. Um, while we're on the, the the use of language as well. Um, English often gets criticised because it has only one word for law and fails to make the distinction that Latin or German make between uh, use and lex or recht and gazettes. One is you know that which is upright and noble or fair, and the other is you know that which is written that you must conform to. Um, did, did, Lavrov is I think on a, on a roll here uh, and while we uh, are on words I think I'll, I'll finish by saying that uh, Andrei Kalin, the relatively recent Russian ambassador in, in London um, is, is uh, giving an example here of, of another way in which the language you grew up in uh, makes a difference to the argument. He is diplomatically saying that they, they don't want provocations. Now, in this case, he used the word in the way that the Western languages would use this as well, which is um, Navy A, the Royal Navy in this case, sails up close to the shore of Navy B and says Yabu. That's what we understand in the West as a provocation. However, in Russian provocatia, Also means what we in the West would call a false flag event, which is particularly relevant for both Ukraine and Georgia, because the whole foot in the door that we have with them and have had for 30 years is that both of these countries have unresolved territorial conflicts and the West, particularly Britain and America, beat the drum for the territorial integrity of these countries and on land and at sea. You can use the local fleet, what the Russian MOD spokesman called the Mosquito Fleet, um, or uh, you know, men in strange uniforms dressed up as another side, in order to draw the Russians in. When the Russians use the word provocatia in Ukraine and Georgia, they tend to use the latter meaning. and They tend to be hinting that Britain and America are using Ukrainian and Georgian ministries and troops and forces in order to draw the Russians in often the claim is with a false promise from London and, and Washington that we'll be behind you when the Russians strike back and then abandoning them. Uh, in a sentence, that's pretty much the, the 20th century militarily. If that's what, that's what we've done with the countries between Germany and Russia. Uh, and the Russians are seeing that we're about to do it again.
1: Yes. Yeah,
0: well, we, I'm sure we're gonna be hearing more about uh, that area in the geopolitical system.
1: Uh, yes, now very, very briefly. Um, uh, news on Julian Assange and his situation. Um, this is a tweet from Edward Snowden. This is the end of the case against Julian Assange because uh, Stunden, the uh, 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 media organization, has uh, highlighted a key witness in the Assange case uh, admitting that he lied in the original indictment. Uh, so the um, report is here. Key witness in the Assange case admits to lies in indictment, they're saying. In fact, He now admits uh, to Stunden that uh, Assange never asked him to hack or access phone recordings of MPs. Uh, His new claim is that he had in fact received some files from a third party who claimed to have recorded MPs uh, and uh, had offered to share them with Assange without having any idea uh, what they actually contained. Uh, So I'm not gonna go through the rest of this. I recommend that people read this uh, article to get the full details um, and uh, no doubt we'll report more in due course. Uh, but uh, David, we'll uh, end the, here with uh, uh, the situation in, in Florida and the building collapse.
3: Yes, here's a still from the uh, the rubble pile and uh, the rescuers you see on top um, as the, the search for survivors goes on. And people can live for many, many days under piles of rubble like this in uh, air pockets uh, where her, Harder parts of the building has, has have created voids where people can survive. So there is still very much a chance of uh, someone being found. Uh, ABC News uh, reported this: twelve dead confirmed, one hundred and forty-nine still missing. Now, if if uh, if if most of those people turn out to be uh, uh, dead and recovered from the rubble, uh, that would make it the worst um, uh, peacetime non-military. Uh, catastrophe in the history of construction and uh, civil and structural engineering in America worse than high at Regency, uh, the hotel uh, walkway disaster. Um, so ABC report, the massive search and rescue operation enters its seventh day on Wednesday um, as uh, crews can carefully comb through the pancake pile of debris in hopes of finding survivors. Partial collapse occurred at 1.15am local time last Thursday. Um, I've got a still here from ABC that shows the location of the building, so it's in Miami Beach, it's right on the coast, it's right on the seafront, Uh, a very um, challenging environment in terms of the durability of structures uh, with uh, salt-laden air and uh, high levels of rainfall. Um, There have been uh, been excellent information produced by the, the New York Times. Um, this next piece is an extract from Structural Engineer's Report, uh, Professional Engineer's Report here. You see him um, signed off in this in the bottom corner. Um, and the key uh, extract I've got here is Abundant cracking and spalling of varying degrees was observed in the concrete columns, beams and walls. Several sizeable spalls were noted both the top side of the entrance drive ramp and underside of the pool, tennis, driver, plant slabs which included instances of exposed deteriorating rebar. Though some of the damage is minor, most of the concrete deterioration needs to be repaired in a timely fashion. All cracking and spalling located in the parking garage should be repaired, etc. This is from uh, late 2018. So that's when the the problems were first identified. Um, We've got here a June um, uh, 29th report from the New York Times uh, quoting a a letter sent out by the... um, president of the condominium association to all of the people who live in and own properties in that block. Uh, this is about three months old uh, and was essentially a state of the building report. So he's reporting $15 million worth of repairs being necessary. Um, the, um, this goes into to some detail but essentially the main issue here was uh, concrete repair and waterproofing. Uh, was ac- was accounting for the largest part of um, of the repair work. So what the situation here is, it's the largest uh, collapse and um, largest loss of life outside military action and uh, extreme events like 9-11 in the history of uh, structural engineering in the United States. Um, the building was showing deterioration, it was showing problems with um, corrosion of reinforcement, um, water getting in, failure of roof membranes, um, all of these sort of related issues, but it had been identified it was being, um repairs were being organized, and there was no hint that uh, that it was uh dangerous the the repairs were urgent, but none of the documents show any any hint of danger no one was mentioning risk of collapse no one was mentioning risk really at all um and uh then the entire the entire building, um, or this was wing of the building, uh, collapsed in just a few seconds. Something very unusual has happened here. Either the the report didn't get the the, the full extent of the deterioration, that there was something hidden, um, and that was a lot more severe, um, or I suppose the engineer may have may have simply overlooked evidence that would have given them a clue. That's possible too. Um, or there was something um, uh, unrelated, uh, something either to do with uh, swallow holes in the ground, uh, solution features or or some other ground related problem. But that seems from what we've got at the moment unlikely. It looks like deterioration of the building stock and uh, and um, perhaps other under- underlying defects, maybe dating from the original construction, maybe the cause. It will be necessary to get to the bottom of this and we'll watch these reports come out as the investigations continue. It may take some time to find out what really went wrong.
1: Yes. OK, so Brian.
0: Uh, well, I just wanted to put Tom Harwood on screen because, of course, GB News is uh, attracting people's attention. This was uh, gentleman was sent through to me. Um, He said on his tweet here, getting the vaccine means chances of passing on the virus have been massively reduced. I'm now part of a growing vaccine wall, holding back the tide of the virus from more vulnerable people. I'm also helping this country to build up herd immunity, protecting us all, thumbs up and a union uh, flag. And I'm just gonna label him clearly a UK government vaccine spokesperson. So he isn't gonna be doing an investigation um, so we're going to give another thumbs down for GB News.
1: Um, and Alex, just to end, um, uh, we've got a couple of uh, finalists, This one from politics.co.uk.
4: They both refer to the same story. A week ago, um, we had uh, a One Britain, One Nation Day, sponsored by, sadly, Lord Tebbit, who ought to know better, among others, and uh, initiated by uh, Mr. K Singh, who came to Britain aged six, and uh, the pupils of a Church of England primary school in Yorkshire Uh, were asked to write the words and music, if I have it right, uh, for the song that, as many primary schools in Britain, were going to be encouraged to sing on this coordinated day. And they came up with an absolutely dire song, which Mr Singh then told us we couldn't criticise because we were then attacking seven-year-olds, which is obviously disingenuous in the extreme. But it ended with Strong Britain, Great Nation, Strong Britain, Great Nation, Strong Britain, Great Nation, Strong Britain, Great Nation. And you can see that the politics co-UK take on this is that the dear leader and the great leader are above the blackboard on which these words are being taught. Those who really want to torture themselves can freeze this frame and see the full lyrics. Of course, the point for, for those who are pretending not to understand it is not that seven year olds can't write better words and music than this. The point is that it's the job of parents and teachers to teach young children songs of quality and distinction that will stay with them into adult life that express the same sentiment uh, in grown up and philosophically and religiously and politically sound ways instead of them just coming out with, we are a team in it great, you know, which, yeah. which is very cruel to leave children to their own devices like this and then let them take the flack
1: uh, Is this a new national anthem?
4: it might well be and of course the flags have the defaced union flag in the top half sorry, the bottom half and the uh the white o o b o n at the top half i think there's some kind of overlap with armed forces day which is around this time of year and a similarly recent vintage david will be tickled pink to hear that the sponsors of this uh who it's it's largely about integrating the Uh, the communities in particularly South and West Yorkshire, but it's gone national from that base. Uh, Nobody bothered to check uh, that Scotland actually breaks up for some holidays earlier and comes back earlier in mid-August. And so uh, all this UK uh, team building in British primary schools, uh, with all the schools singing the same song on the same day, couldn't go ahead in almost any Scottish school because they were already on their summer holidays and... and, uh, no, it's 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 facepalm stuff but here is the uh, the the, bis- the 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 icing on the cake i would say uh, in commentary on this uh, this meme here has the bbc's own uh, laura Koonsberg reporting uh, democratic people's republic of korea style uh, the, from the mist covered covered summit of mount Paktu that um i think someone in the chat room called him uh, Fataturk a moment ago a sort of a Boris Johnson with uh, with Kim Buffon in the inset and, and reporting on what the dear leader has been up to this is all of course a rip take on the strong Britain great nation stuff and uh, no fan of ours one of these sort of NHS loving virtue signalling EU loving types called Matt Mason uh, has tweeted this out we can agree with him on on this uh, that he tongue in cheek is uh, it, while he's retweeting this is saying all hail the dear leader and the strong Britain great nation. Uh, it's very similar, actually, to Theresa May's uh, election campaign. Do you remember? A strong and stable government. Yes. Uh, so I think that the primary schools, kids who were only four at the time, uh, are possibly getting the the vibes that that's what it's all about now. It's about a, a strong ruling. Uh, and as, as Lavrov has told us, rule and law are the same thing. Uh, a strong lawgiver and a great nation. Don't forget it. No, Indeed.
0: Uh, Well, Alex, thank you for that. Strong Britain, great nation. And somebody in the chat box earlier gave us Britannia waves the rules. So if we put those together, I think we know the state of the country, which is pretty, pretty bad. And we know who's causing the problems. But we're on two hours. I think we should end there. So I'm going to say thank you very much to you guys for joining us. And a very, very big thank you to all the lovely people wonderful people that spoke to us over the weekend. It was truly amazing. And um, we are, well, we don't really know what to say from some of the kindness that was uh, shown to us. Uh, Some people did give us donations over those two days. So thank you very much. You know who you are. We were given a koala bear. Luckily, that is a cuddly koala bear and doesn't need feeding. So that's a positive point. But overall it was a great event and uh, most people there said this should be happening again principally they were talking about the uh, protest against uh, vaccine damage and lockdown Uh, so many people saying they wanted to see a lot more people at a another future event we wait to see what happens with that and a lot of people said they'd also like to uh, see uk column present again so that we could carry off conversations that we had to finish. We'll have a think about that one.
1: Yes, uh, we'll be back for a more normally-length uh, news program on uh, Friday, as usual, at 1 p.m. Um, we'll see you then.
0: Okay, thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.